0: Uh, we began our study, of the famous last words of Jesus from the cross last week, and we discovered that his words, uh, his, his first of his final recorded words were a simple prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Perhaps you've had the opportunity this week to... Uh, to put that into practice a little bit yourself. But it's interesting to note that as we come to the second phrase, the second set of words from Jesus, uh, that that here we have not a prayer but an answer to prayer. Now, we might have anticipated it. Wasn't it Jesus, after all, who said things like this? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And so we might have anticipated that Jesus would, in fact, in in these final words from the cross, speak words of answering prayer. We might have anticipated, though, that he would respond in some fashion to the disciples. Uh, Prayers for comfort or for for instruction, Uh, in the midst of a very difficult time. We we might have anticipated that Jesus would answer their prayers for assurance or encouragement in a very difficult time for these who had followed him so closely for such a length of time and had come now to this confusing end, right? What we we most likely would not have anticipated uh, is that the prayer Jesus would answer would be one that was uttered from the lips of a criminal, a thief, uh, a a terrorist, really, in that day, who was hanging on a cross next to Jesus. It, It was a prayer, though, that we want to look at, and an answer that came from Jesus that at once revealed kind of the heart's cry of humanity and also the determined commitment of Jesus To carry out the mission that God had given to him. I love what Jake said earlier in that passage where Jesus set himself resolutely to the cross. And this is an an example of that very thing. And an invitation for us to do the same. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Gospel of Luke. You can uh, turn there if you'd like. Um, The Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And I'll begin at verse 35. And I invite you to stand with me. Read this. I'll read it. You follow along. And at the end, again, I'll just say the word of the Lord. you say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. After. (laughs) afterwards, sorry. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I am always impressed with folks who are able to cut through distractions. And uh, again, I love Jake at the beginning with, you know, babies crying and sounds going and making a joyful noise to the Lord. Well well done. I'm always impressed with people who are able to cut through the distractions and the things that are going on all around them and, and continue to focus in on the task or the assignment that is before them. Uh, I'm particularly impressed we we have entered into the season of March Madness. Some of you who are college basketball fans are familiar with this, this season. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but this season of March Madness, and I am always impressed with those basketball players who can shoot free throws, staring into thousands of the opposing team's fans, waving their arms and shouting and screaming, and I've seen them hold up, you know, like... Posters of barely clad women, and you know all sorts of other pictures and th- different things to distract them, and yet, and yet they're able to to focus right through all of that and shoot these these free throws, making them often. I'm I'm impressed by those who can, as you saw again last night. Uh, sorry, Ryan, <laughs> cheering on his Wildcats, the uh, Washington Huskies. Uh, uh, point guard dribbling down with final seconds on the clock and launching up a, a shot as the buzzer goes off to win the, the, the game right there at the end of, of it all. And, and just very impressive. Cool, calm, under pressure. These people are what we might call single-minded. And that's the, kind of the title for this talk this morning, just to think about what it means to be single-minded. The dictionary defines this as steadfast, ...or resolute. Nothing will distract me. Nothing will get in my way. No opponent, no, no distraction, no opposing uh, uh, fan... ...whatever the situation. No pressure internally or externally. It describes those who have an overriding purpose or goal. This is what I am going to do. Those who are able to kind of tune out all the noise all the distraction, all the things that would get them off track and zero in on the target that is set before them. I went uh, a few weeks ago to my, uh, my, my kids' school. They were having their jogathon. Uh, every school, it seems like, has one of these jogathons. I know that my kids have hit up many of you, and you've been hit up by others to raise money for these jogathons. a thons And uh, they set up a track. Usually it's a little bit smaller than a regulation-sized track, and these kids just go out there they get pledges and they go out there and they just run around for a half an hour and and it's pretty amazing you have these different grade levels and they go out there and they kind of do their thing and depending on the person or depending on the grade level you get what you get in terms of the level of intensity in terms of the running the actual going around and around now i got there in time for to watch thomas do his jogathon and i got there actually a couple minutes into it um, but I was stopping by, you know, just to be an encouragement, just to kind of cheer them on a little bit, you know, and the teachers and the, uh, the staff and the parents and, and everybody that was a part of that thought I uh, better be um, there to, to see what was going on. What I found was my little boy, seven years old, was single-mindedly pursuing his goal of running 50 laps. Now, again, it's a kid-sized lap, so this, it wasn't... You know, like 12 miles or whatever that we're talking about there. But but he was after 50 laps. And I think he had never run this many before, but this was his goal. And so while many of the kids were, you know, kind of walking in groups around the outside of the track or playing with water bottles or doing the chicken dance, you know, in the middle of the field, Thomas was stuck on the inside lane of that track resolutely running around and around and around. And the only time he would stop was when he had to stop and let the teacher mark the lap number on his back. Even when I came up alongside him and he didn't see me coming, I just started running alongside him. He looked up at me and then he looked right back. And it was kind of like, what are you doing here? Get out of my way. I got 50 laps to get done and I'm not slowing down for you or anybody else. So I just tried to encourage him, good job, buddy, you're doing great, ha-ha, watch out for the water spray, huh? No, wasn't having any of it, just focused along. And, uh, you know, he quickly just stayed right on track and and kept right at it. And when it was over, he had his 50 laps. And he had a lot of people who were quite a bit poorer than they anticipated who had (laughs) sponsored him. And he had one tired little body. I think he even got sick that weekend, and uh, we, we thought maybe it was because he'd worn himself out so much. But, but just focused. I admire people like this. Maybe you have known people like this, or perhaps there are times when you have been a person like this. In your work, in your business, or in your, in your relationships, or in your, uh, with your homework, perhaps with a, a hobby or an activity that you uh, enjoy. You know the feeling of being totally centered in, totally focused, totally um, drawn into the experience of that moment, Um, you know the feeling of losing track of time. You know the feeling of other things just kind of fading to the background. You know the feeling of being single-minded. Well, without a doubt, in this story that we have read, or this portion of the story that we have read, we run into some some single-minded folks. Some, some folks who are, who are going in one direction, who have one thing on, on their mind. Uh, interestingly, Karl Barth, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, he, he spoke of this story, and he, and he called it this. He said this is, um, he suggests that this scene makes up the very first Christian church. That was an interesting uh, perspective that I want to just kind of spend some time with for a moment here. We might call it the first church of the cross, um, and his point was that had Jesus not said that where two or three are gathered, there am I also with them. And so here are two gathered on this, these opposing crosses with Jesus there in the middle. And uh, some, have sugge- some in fact have suggested that this scene as it plays out is as church really as church gets. It's interesting to, to think about it. Sadly, among this church's membership, there was one who was single-mindedly devoted to going the, the opposite direction of who Jesus would have wanted him to be and who uh, uh, a person of faith would have been. He, he, had, he, he was appearing to be in it only for himself. And this is the, the thief who didn't you know, respond to Jesus. Um, he had come to church, but things weren't getting any better. He had, his reality was still a harsh one. And so he had gotten caught up, caught up in the swirl, the emotions, and the voices of all of those around him to the point where he simply began to repeat the mantras of the world in which he was a part. Do you see how maybe this relates a little bit to some folks in the church even today? His mantra was different than any of ours, perhaps. We wouldn't say necessarily, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But maybe it's not too far off. (laughs) You're Jesus, aren't you? Save me. Get me out of this. Change this. Redirect this. Save yourself, but really, save me. That's what I'm really after here. A selfish motive definitely driving this person. And sadly, again, perhaps this one is not so different from many In churches today, people caught up in self-centeredness, self-absorption, personal advancement, people who view Jesus as sort of a cosmic kind of good luck charm, that if I can get Jesus in my corner, then everything will be all right for me. Everything will kind of work out the way I, I have it in mind. How many of us have heard the world's mantras, slogans of those around us, and feel ourselves getting caught up into them, and perhaps tinged with embarrassment or disappointment in ourselves, still we might express, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. While that is a sad position, we're we are very glad that there is in fact one who is single-minded in a different direction, single-minded in his hope in Christ. Some might say that he was desperate, Right? The, the cynics among us might say that this thief was just purely desperate. And, and, and yet, I would say, absolutely. <laughs> if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And that's what had brought him to this place of turning to Jesus. He had realized that he was down to his final option. He had reached his very bottom. There was no way out for him now. This was it. This was was the end. And he was, instead of hoping to, instead of going down in bitterness and hostility, he was able to turn in such a way that he would be able to go down in in humility and go out in, in faith. One writer has said it like this Some people saw Jesus raise the dead and did not believe. The robber sees him being put to death. And does believe. Another said it like this I love these words. I I couldn't even attempt to rephrase them. Wounded and forsaken by his friends, taunted by the religious leaders and rabble alike, his followers powerless to rescue him, despised, naked, shamed, nailed to a cross. Who could have believed that this was the Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings? The Savior of the world. And yet in this one, single-minded in his hope in Christ, a faith emerges that is beautiful, that is powerful, and that is an example for all of us who come after him. At first a confession. You heard it in the words? At first a confession of his own sinfulness To, to the other thief. We are punished justly. That, that moment of coming to grips with his own sinfulness, so critical for all of us, followed by a defense of Jesus, beginning to, to, to stand in defense of this one, where he says to the other criminal, this man has done nothing wrong, finally marked by him turning. And just imagine, again, on the cross, in such a situation of pain and torture, to turn, to make the effort to turn to Jesus, the head of the church, and cry out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice, not if you come into your kingdom, but when you come into your kingdom. This, this thief expressed our our heart's desire, did he not, when he said those simple words, remember me? Don't we all just, at some level, long to be remembered by someone special, something significant to have this, this level of meaning, this level of significance that someone has remembered us? Remember after our, our very first date, this is taking it way back now, um, Kyle and I have actually known each other for about 20 Two years, nearly. And uh, so so. right after that first date, um, Kyla had to, she was going to go, we were in college, and she was going to go back to her home for the weekend, the next weekend. And I was like, oh, no. The first date was good. Things are going well. But 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 if I miss a weekend, if I miss a date, she might forget me, right? She might get back to her home and started hanging out with her high school buddies, maybe an old boyfriend, who knows, and that guy over there at college might just be, ah, whatever. But when she returned, she lived in Phoenix, and when she returned from Phoenix to San Diego, and we met up just to kind of say hey and kind of catch up a little bit, what did she have with her? A gift. A Phoenix Suns basketball t-shirt for me. (laughs) And though I wasn't then and never have been a fan of the Phoenix Suns, (laughs) it it was definitely the thought that counts. And I have that t-shirt to this day because in that moment I recognized that, that while she was gone, she had been thinking about me, this was a good sign. She had remembered me. And not only was this a good feeling because I thought this was a good indicator of future relationship, but it was just a good feeling because it feels good to be remembered. It feels good to know that people are thinking about you. It feels good to know that you're on their mind, that people are are keeping you in the realm of their thoughts. So when he says to Jesus, and, and notice this, this is the only time that Jesus, in the Gospels, is addressed solely by his first name. Only time where he's not called Jesus, Son of God, or Jesus, Son of David. The only time, or Messiah, or Lord. The only time where, where someone looks to him and says, Jesus. And I think there's something to be caught about that intimacy, that personal, personal touch, this, this, this closeness that had developed not between Jesus and one of his disciples, but between Jesus and one of the ones who was farthest perhaps from him just moments earlier. And he says with a longing, desperate cry, the cry that is the same for each of us. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, have me on your mind. Jesus, think about me. I'm desperate. I'm at the very end. I I can't go any Lower than this, remember me. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus did. (laughs) This this man solely wanted to count for something. He solely wanted to have meaning for this life and beyond. He solely wanted to be with Jesus forever. What a prayer. A single-minded hope in Christ singly minded in your hope in Christ today? Have you come to that place, really? Can't go any lower. Can't go anywhere else. Can't can't find this sort of hope any place else than in Jesus. Have we come to the place where we're able just to look him in the face, to turn and say, Jesus, remember me. If you don't, I'll just be completely forgotten. Well, Jesus demonstrates also in this, in this church um, that, that there is one uh, who is a person who has a single-minded passion for people. Uh, thank the Lord that we have someone in this church, Church of the Cross, Church of the Nazarene, who has this sort of, of devotion, this sort of passion for people like Jesus did. A passion that had been demonstrated not only now on the cross, but throughout his lifetime, throughout his ministry. Through everything that he had done to this point, he had demonstrated and exhibited this sort of passion. This sort of single-mindedness. This was the one who had gotten into so much trouble. Remember this Jesus? Who had gotten into so much trouble with the religious establishment for hanging out with who? Sinners, Right? That was kind of Jesus' mode, M.O., his modus operandis. That's how he, that's how he did it. He hung out with sinners. And how appropriate that as he lived and hung out with sinners, now he would die hanging with with sinners. Look at some of these verses from, from Scripture. This was his passion. This was his pursuit. Listen to these. Read these with me. For the Son of Man, read it with me, came to seek and to save what was lost. Right? That's his mission statement. Son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. How am I going to seek and save what's lost when I'm hanging out with all the found people? Next one. Read this with me. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners might say that Jesus not only had a passion for people, but specifically he had a passion for people who were apart from him, who were going their own direction. The last one, read it with me. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Leave that just for a moment. Look at it. Is this not exactly what is happening in the scene in which we're looking at today? It says in the Gospels that he said this, referring to the way in which he would die. And is this, in fact, not what is happening as he is lifted up? Is he not drawing this thief? And in a more veiled sense, all of those around him to himself. This is just what he does. Interestingly, starting with the bottom of the human heap, he reaches to this thief. Something about the first shall be last, the last shall be first. This is just how Jesus did it. I'm struck by this. You know people in our lives, I know people that will be doing certain things till the day they die. Right, I mean, I know he doesn't like to be uh, centered out too much, but our brother Crosby will be taking care of his plants till the day he dies. Right, but, and so will Sherry, right out here. You know, um, my dad will be mentoring young pastors till the day he dies. He doesn't know how to really. This, that sounds wrong. I almost said he doesn't know how to do anything else, but he he knows how to do lots of other things. But that's the one thing he'll just be doing that till the day he dies. Um, Jake will be singing praises to the Lord till the day he dies. He'll be old and he won't be able to really, you know, he'll be playing the guitar still and it'll be this old-fashioned instrument by that time and people will be like, oh, I can't stand the guitar, you know, that's such an old-fashioned... He'll be playing, he'll be singing praises to the Lord till the day he dies. We We know people like this. Kyla's grandmother, Grandma Margaret, she wrote letters, birthday cards, notes literally till the day she died we we used to get notes and we would laugh all the time cuz I'd get birthday cards and it would say dear it would say dear James I never understood that my name would be in quotes still don't get it have to ask her when we get to heaven what she meant by that dear James kind of like don't really know who you are, but we'll call you James. <laughs> she, she would write these letters, and we get them. Dear James, dear Kyla, dear whoever, you know. My dad got a birthday card from her after she had passed away. She wrote the card, put it in the mail. That night she died. A day or two later, my dad gets the card in the mail literally writing cards and birthday notes and wishes till the day she died. Maybe you're thinking about what it will be for you. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be shooting baskets till the day I die. You know it, right? I'm going to do it. Hold me to it. We're going to be doing different things till the day we die. This is what Jesus did till the day he died. He offered salvation. He offered hope. He offered life. He offered the promise of newness and restoration, the hope of paradise. This is what Jesus did throughout his ministry. And if you would have asked him years in, a couple years into it, they said, well, Jesus, what are you going to do the day you die? I'm going to save people. It's just what I do. I've come to seek the lost. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's just what I do. But Jesus would have to say, it's just what I do. This is the kind of Jesus that this statement reveals to us that we are dealing with here. Because he responds to that thief at the end of his rope, the the last chance. This is the last stop for the thief. Ah, Truly, I tell you, make no mistake about it. Take this one to the bank. Today. Some people say the thief was probably hoping that, you know, he said, when you come into your kingdom, so maybe the thief was kind of thinking, you know, down the road, whenever that might be in, you know, years or centuries to come or however that works in the future in the messianic reign, if you're going to come back and establish that someday, would you just, you know, keep me in mind and make all that work out for me? And Jesus, isn't it just like Jesus to go beyond our prayer requests with something so much bigger and so much better, so much beyond anything that we could ever even know to pray? you remember when you come into your kingdom, oh, I'll do you one better. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, there's been lots of, maybe when I read this earlier on, you're like, ooh, maybe he's going to get to, what is paradise? Lots of uh, debate, lots of, uh, Argument even, disagreement about how this all works out, what's paradise, what's heaven, what's the intermediate state, what's, you know, when Jesus returns, what happens after we die. And we could go into a long discussion about what that means, and I'm glad to enter into that with you some other time. But today, can I tell you this? Focus not so much on that word, but on this other one where he says this. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me me. Because I have this sense, my friends, that whatever paradise is, however it relates, uh, that that it entails being with Jesus. And so the promise wasn't to some elusive garden type beautiful setting uh, necessarily, but the promise was today you're going to be with me. And that's the promise that we are all invited to grab hold of as well today. If it was good enough for the thief, Good enough for me. Amen? Yes. Amen. So here's the deal. A single-minded, um, a single-minded passion for people uh, elicits, I hope and anticipate, a single-minded response from each of us. A single-minded. Jake spoke about it. We've entered into this season of Lent. Uh, we, we don't talk about it too much. We put the nice cloth up there, and we talk about this nice journey to, this, to Easter and the celebration of, God, of Christ's resurrection we don't, you know, kind of do a whole lot more with it than that, except talk about it, keep it before us, because we kind of recognize that what we do here in this season, we ought to kind of be doing a lot of the time as well, and so it's not the only time of the year where we are to express our devotion to Christ. <laughs> and yet, this is, a, this is a particularly meaningful and, and momentous, perhaps, opportunity for us to, to focus in, to kind of eliminate some of those distractions like we've talked about. And like we know, so real in to be in our lives, to, to, to let those fade to the back, let the noise quiet and let our, our centering on Jesus become so much a part of who we are in these days as a part of uh, carrying over into all the days of our lives. And so, with the thief, can we strain and struggle, and whatever it means, to look to Jesus? That's the greatest invitation today. Look to Jesus. Don't look in these days to your own good works. Don't look to your church attendance. Don't look to uh, the the nice things that you've done. Here's a trick. Don't even look to how great your faith is. Don't don't even count up just how much you're not depending on your good works. (laughs) Let all those things just kind of fall to the side and, and, and look to Jesus. Remember me. Remember me, Jesus. There's nothing he longs more to do than that. And could it be that even today, and in the next 40 days, and in the days to follow even after that, we might know what it is to be with Jesus in paradise, even now. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for for the the example of this humble thief. Thank you for this church service that uh, we got to be witnesses of in this scene. One going his own way. One in it for the wrong reasons. How tragically often we've been that one. Looking to you again as a cosmic good luck charm. Looking to you to make everything right for me help us to come to that place of sensitivity of of ultimacy of desperation even help us to come that place where we look to no one and to nothing else but you and calling you by name simply say jesus remember us thank you jesus that you do thank you that you will thank you that even now you extend the invitation to us to be with you, an invitation that begins today, an experience of paradise that begins even now, and that will extend forevermore. We are grateful people. We are humbled people. And we want to declare to you today, Jesus, that more than we were when we came in here a while ago, and not as much as we will be in the days to come, perhaps, but Right now, we are single-minded in our pursuit of who you are and of what you have for us. Thank you for being who you are, and we pray this in your name.